Tregan, good morning, and Happy New Year. <laughs> it is, indeed. So yeah, a couple weeks ago, Mike shared on the rapture, and as we were discussing what to preach on following Matthew, you know, the rapture is an exciting event, something that draws our heart where we say, Maranatha, even so, come Lord Jesus. But there's something else to the Lord's coming. There's a sense he comes for us, but there's also a sense when the Lord comes for the whole earth to see. And it's one of the great events and the culmination of human history. And when I think about this, a song comes to mind. And maybe years ago, some of you were even part of the choir up here. And Tina was leading the choir. And we sang the song, Joy to the World. And of course, it's a Christmas song. But I want you to think about some of the lyrics to this song and see if your mind doesn't go where mine does. You would sing, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. We think, okay, yeah, Christmas time. We have the baby in the manger, born to be king, born to be savior of the world. But have you ever thought of these words? Joy to the earth, the savior reigns. Did that happen in the Lord's life here on earth? You go, what is this? And I remember reading, singing this song at the choir. And we read, um, we sang, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. Does anybody garden? I think, I'm not sure this has happened yet. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. But this is still sometime out future yet, isn't it? No, or sorry, he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness, the wonders of his love. Do the nations of the world right now do they show the glory of the Lord as we watch the nations of the world? I think this is yet to happen. And I hope I did not ruin your Christmas song for you. Whenever I hear this song, I think, Lord, even so, come, Lord. You came once, and yet I think this looks forward to something still yet future. And I remember about that time we did that, we're going through the Psalms at the same time, and we're going through some of the Messianic Psalms. And as I read those, I thought, this is going to be amazing. It talks about the rivers singing for joy, the earth being in harmony as it was meant to be. And so we're going to discuss some of these things today. You know, what is God's ultimate plan, the culmination of history? When the Lord comes back to the earth, not just in the rapture to come and catch his people up, but also to come and to reign on the earth in righteousness. And what does that mean for us here today as we live out our lives? So to begin, I want to begin with just like a brief prophetic outline. Now, when you start getting into prophetic outlines... It is somewhat of a can of worms. Now, I've really enjoyed um, using the ESV study Bible. If you have one, 
they have a section there on some different prophetic outlines and just the way that might look. And my point today is not to give you a prophetic outline. It's not to give you a date. I know people are wondering, so, ooh, second coming. Should I get my calendar out and put a date down? No, don't. Don't do any dates. I don't have any secret knowledge. I didn't find the hidden prophetic passage buried deep that's going to unlock all the world's secrets. People kind of enjoy these things. I don't have any formula that's going to put everything together and you go, oh, now it all fits together. And to give it a kind of a picture of what I think it's like, sometimes prophecy and end times is kind of like having a box full of puzzle pieces. And you're like, what do I do with this? You kind of see the big picture like you would in the front of a box, and then you pick up a piece. You're like, okay, well, where does this fit? And do I need to adjust my picture a little bit? I'm going to give you some big picture things today. I'm, I'm not going to give you where all the pieces go. That could probably be a college course. probably could be a college PhD dissertation. And I'm not going to do that. I can't do that today. But the challenge is, really, there's not a book of the Bible called Prophecy or the outline of the future. It's just not in there like that. And so there's little pieces here, and you grab a piece there, and you try and put them together in a way that makes sense and have a framework. So I'm just going to give you this. This is a prophetic outline, and this is where my mind tends to go when I think about prophetic things that are going to happen. And I really do believe the fulfillment is going to be the ultimate interpretation. So when it all comes to pass, we're going to look back and say, oh, Lord, now I get it. Now I understand. But in the meantime, I think it does our hearts good to look forward. So I'm going to suggest there is a rapture. This is 1 Thessalonians 4. Mike hit it a couple weeks ago really thoroughly. After this, a tribulation. A time when God pours out his wrath on the earth for seven years, after which Christ appears. Then there's going to be a millennium, a thousand years, Christ reigning on the earth. The earth will be blessed. The nations will be at peace. A king will reign and judge righteously on the earth. Now you would think after this, the people would be so satisfied with peace on earth, it would just continue forever. But no, the nations rise up at the end of the thousand years, and there's a final battle. We use the term Armageddon, meaning like the final definitive battle where Christ crushes all his enemies and ushers in an eternal state. There you have it. Prophecy in two minutes. I want to suggest there's a difference between the rapture in Christ appearing. And here's just two key verses. Just so you can see, there is a differentiation. So the first one, I didn't write it on there. This is uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is Christ coming for his people and taking them out of the world. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of a trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. 
Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So we can see in one sense the Lord does come and he catches his people up. And we use the term rapture. So to catch up like a bird, a rapture. The hawks reaches down, snatches up his prey. In this case, the Lord grabs his people, and we meet him up in the air. But another sense, the Lord comes in power, and everyone sees it. So from Revelation chapter 19, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire on his head and are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. So you can see the vision. There's two different senses of the Lord's coming. And in some sense, it's a little bit confusing. Like, well, which, you know, when you start talking the Lord's coming, you know, which is his coming? Well, yes, I believe they both are. In one sense, the Lord comes to take his people. In another sense, the Lord comes with his people, with power and justice and judgment to judge righteously the earth and the nations. So, I have three things that I want to bring forward. And I have a lot of verses to read, so I want to talk about the nations that will rise up and are defeated. I want to talk about the blessing that will be experienced on the earth. And when the king actually shows up, when the Lord returns in person bodily to the earth. So I want to begin here just thinking about this over overview of the idea of the kingdom of God on the earth. And I've been struck in the last several years the idea that God has had a plan for this earth from the beginning. I think sometimes we have this idea that when we die, we just sort of go to heaven and like, end of story. Ta-da, done. You know, end, close the book, set it down. But I think God, from the beginning, had a plan on this earth to bless his people and have a relationship as God to his people living on the earth, in the world. And I think his theme runs throughout Scripture. It's not just like a verse in one place. But I just want to consider this line of thought, and you could probably even add some things to it. But if you think about Adam and Eve in the garden. They were placed on the earth to know God and to be known by God, to have dominion over the earth. And in a sense, this was God's kingdom. This was Adam and Eve's people created as his image bearers to be on the earth righteously. Of course, you know how sin ruined that, and the world was plunged into chaos and selfishness and sin. And then God pulls out from there, from this chaos. He pulls Abraham out and tells him, leave. Leave the Ur, leave the civilization, the kingdom of this world. And I'm going to make out of you a new people. 
to be blessed. I think about Israel being in bondage in Egypt. Moses calls them out of Egypt, in a sense, out of bondage in the world, leads them through the wilderness, and then takes them all the way to the land. Of course, Joshua leads them in. But there's this idea, you will be a peculiar people. You'll be a kingdom for me. Of course, the people said, no, we don't want you as our king. Like, give us a king. So the Lord says, okay, I'll give you a king to be a kingdom. So David is almost like the high point of the kingdom. As a king after God's own heart. And as flawed as he was, you know, David looks forward to a day when David's greater son will reign. And so the people look forward to Messiah. They want a Messiah who will rule and who will reign righteously on David's throne. And of course, as we read in the book of Matthew, Jesus shows up and the people say, nah, no thanks, what else do you have? They say, we don't want you. We will, we will not have this man to rule over us. And then a resurrected Christ. We think, okay, now Messiah has been killed, crucified, resurrected yeah, again, brought to life, resurrection life. And Acts 1, isn't it interesting? The disciples, their question of Christ is, okay, now are you going to bring back the kingdom to Israel? So we see this flow of thought that God has a plan for blessing his people on the earth throughout the biblical narrative. So I'm going to read some verses here, and i got a bunch of them. So stick with me. Um, and I want to show that the nations, when given the opportunity, will not bend the knee to the Lord. In fact, given the opportunity, they will rise up and in a sense, shake their fist at him. So turn with me, find uh, Zechariah. And I'm going to read from Zechariah. So we think when the Lord comes, we're all going to rejoice, right? It's going to be awesome. Listen what happens when the Lord comes. Zechariah 12, 10. It says, And I will pour out in the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy. So when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, which was written before the Lord is crucified. So looking forward to this, him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. Go ahead and turn with me to Revelation. So Revelation chapter 1. In verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, as we had read, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, as we read in Zechariah, and all tribes of the earth will wail 
on account of him. Even so, amen. So this idea we're all going to rejoice, it's not biblical. The nations and those who set themselves up against the Lord will cry out and they will wail at his sight because he brings judgment and justice. Next one, back to Zechariah. I've got you jumping around today, so it's kind of like Bible camp when we do the uh, sword drills and turn our pages. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 2. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken and the houses plundered, the women raped. Half of the city shall go out into exile, but the rest of the people will not be cut off out of the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations, as when he fights on the day of battle. I'm going to pause right there. I'll come back to this, finish this section. But the Lord brings the nations who are standing against him, brings them to Jerusalem, and says, I will be the one who will fight against these nations. So the nations are not rejoicing at his returning, but in a sense, shaking their fist at the Lord. The next one, let's go to Ezekiel chapter 30. I cheated, I bookmarked my Bible. But you can catch up. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord God, Wail, alas for the day, the day is near, the day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. A sword shall come upon Egypt. Anguish shall be in Cush. When the slain fall in Egypt and her wealth is carried away, her foundations are torn down. Cush and Put and Lud and all Arabia and Libya and the people of the land that is in league shall fall with them by the sword. You can read the rest of the chapter. I think you get the gist. Those who rise up against the Lord, the Lord will cut them down, and they'll be slain. Isaiah, chapter 34. Draw near, O nations, to hear and give attention, O peoples. Let the earth hear and all that fills it, the world and all that comes from it. For the Lord is enraged against all the nations and furious against all their host. He has devoted them to destruction and given them over for slaughter. Their slain shall be cast out and the stench of their corpses shall rise. The mountains shall flow with their blood. All the hosts of heaven shall rot away, and the skies roll up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall as leaves fall from a vine, like leaves falling from a fig tree. For my sword has drunk its fill in the heavens. Behold, it descends for judgment upon Edom, upon the people I have devoted to destruction. The Lord has a sword. It is sated with blood, gorged with fat, and the blood of lambs and goats and the fat of the kidneys of the rams for the Lord has sacrificed in Boaz a great slaughter in the land of Edom. Wild oxes shall fall with them, and young steers with mighty bulls. 
Their land shall drink its fill of blood, and their soil shall be gorged with fat. I hope you get the sense that when the Lord comes, it's not as in his first coming when it was in meekness, in a time of healing, a time to present himself as king for the blessing of the people. But when the Lord comes back, those who shake their fist, as it were, at him, the Lord is going to crush them. I find it almost comical, those who say, well, when God shows up, I've got a thing or two I'd like to say to him. I think they've not read this book. God is not going to mess around with those puny people who shake their fist. But God is going to deal in justice and judgment with the nations. I think just given the length here, I'm going to go ahead and leave it at that. But the question I think really is, what do we do with this? How do we take this and live out our lives? And really what comes to mind as I read this, I think about who do we as like a church and people individually and families, who do we align ourselves to? And I think we can't help admit, like we live in a culture and we try and build our lives in this culture. And we have jobs, we have savings accounts, we try and preserve our health and live lives that are productive in this culture, in this world. With the idea this world is going to continue indefinitely for as many years as I get in this world. And I think especially as we're young, we try and think, how do I navigate this world? And how do I get ahead? And as we kind of move into middle age, we think, how do I position myself in this life to have a comfortable end years? Like, how do I do this? And I have bad news for you. You don't. We can't. And it's hard to move our hearts away from the comfort and especially in a world that has positioned itself to be comfortable and to make things like easy and good. We want that. Our flesh wants that. But I think we need to have an eternal perspective. We need to see this world the way the Lord sees it. And that all these things that we do outside of God's blessing are in just little ways, our little fist shaking at God saying, I don't need you because I've got a system. There is a world system in place in my little fist. God, I don't need you to be comfortable. But as we read about God's judgment on this world, we need to turn our hearts away from the world and turn our hearts toward the Lord and recognize that our peace, our prosperity, our blessing is found in him. So yeah, this is kind of some doom and gloom and like, okay, that's scary stuff. God's judgment on the earth. And by the way, this is just scratching the surface. I probably could have spent the entire message just reading God's judgment on the nations. But I think you get the point. But I also want to talk about God's desire for blessing on the earth. As much as the little people shake their fist at God, to those who will bend the knee, 
to those who will align themselves with God's kingdom. His purpose and his plan is blessing for us. Is to have a world that is good, that's meant, that is the way it was meant to be. And so, I want to read from Isaiah chapter 35. Like I say, as you read Isaiah, it's just an amazing juxtaposition. It's setting next to each other God's judgment and then God's blessing. So the next chapter, Isaiah 35. I'll just read the beginning. I think you should finish the rest, though. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like a crocus. It shall bloom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with recompense of God. He will come and save you. The eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame man shall leap like a deer, the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become pools and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. Is that an amazing picture of God's blessing on the earth? I'm going to go and turn it over to Joel next. Minor prophets are always tricky to find. Only three chapters. Joel chapter 3. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain. And Jerusalem shall be holy. And strangers, strangers shall never pass again through it. And in that day, the mountains shall drip sweet wine. The hills shall flow with milk, and the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water, and a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord and water the valley of Shittim. Again, we just see this picture of God's blessing on the earth. Amos. Pay attention. Amos chapter 9. Verse 11. In that day, I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches, raise up its ruins, rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities that inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. They shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord 
you are God. So we see this picture of God's blessing on the earth. Harvest so abundant that the one who reaps, you can't even plant plants as fast as they can pick the fruit of it. And I think in our day and age, I don't know if any of you have ever been in a position where you really did not have food. Like you did not know where your next meal came from. I've never had to experience that. But in an agricultural society, I mean, it was a constant fear. The next famine might wipe out your food source. And yet God promises to these people, to his people, that there will be blessing, abundant blessing. Your needs met and beyond. And just one more in Micah. Micah chapter 4. And it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. It shall be lifted up above the hills and the peoples shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between my peoples. He shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk each in the name of his God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. As you read about this kind of blessing, does it make you think this is what life was meant to be? As you read the pages of the news, and you see what the world is, you realize this is not as we have the world today. This is not God's plan for the earth. Excuse me if I start getting a little bit hoarse here. Um, But God has a plan from the beginning, from Eden. He had a plan for God to be blessed on the earth in a productive world that's meant to function a certain way. And because of sin and selfishness and people's desire to, like, take and to harm others and to shake our little fist at God, our earth is in a place it's not meant to be. But when the Lord appears, it will be. It'll be what God meant it to be. And as you read through the prophetic passages, and again, there's many. I had to pick just a few. You can see that what God intends has not yet come to pass. As I look around the world, this is not the way we see it. Swords and weapons are still being used. They're not made into implements of productivity. So my final thought is that there will come a day when the king comes back to the earth. And I love this passage in Zechariah. 
when I read this, I just think how awesome it is that the very Jesus who walked on the earth, his feet will once again stand on this earth. Zechariah says, on that day, the same day of God's judgment, the day of his blessing, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And on the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a wide valley. So one half of the mount shall move northward, the other half southward, and you shall flee to the valley of my mountains. And for the valley of the mountain shall reach to Azel, and you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. Is that just remarkable to think? The very Jesus who walked this earth, his feet will set back down on this earth again. So God has a plan. Like I said, it has to do with this world and this earth that we're living in. And yet it doesn't look like it does now. But it's going to be amazing when it does come. Beyond what we can experience now. In the book of Acts, as Jesus ascends, so Acts chapter 1, So while they stood, while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So to those who were there, they watched as Jesus left the earth, he ascended into heaven. They're saying in that same way, as surely as he walked this earth, he ascends into heaven. As sure as that, he will come back to this world and his feet will set back down and he will rule and reign on this world. And finally again to Revelation 19. I know I already read it, but I'm going to read it again. So the rider on the white horse, verse 11. Then I saw heaven open. And what that means, I don't know. I don't exactly know, but I imagine the skies parting. And I suppose there's a realm up in the skies that we don't see. But the heavens will open up. And behold, look, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. In righteousness, he judges and he makes war. We read about that. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and his head on his head are many diadems, crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe that is dripped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following with him on white horses. And I think that may be us. We are caught up with him 
And I believe we come and we follow with him as we come back to this world. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress to the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So, indeed, as we finished up Matthew, we had this vision of the kingdom of heaven. It was the theme in Matthew. The kingdom of heaven is like the kingdom of heaven. And I think when the Lord was here, the kingdom of heaven is not, it was not like what it will be when Jesus comes a second time. He's going to come in glory. He's going to come in power. And we're going to come with him. And I just want to bring a few points. In response, how should we live? So I want to say this. First off, invest your life in the coming kingdom. The nations of this world, the world system. And as much as people invest in it, and I do too, I bought a house and I drive cars and I have health insurance. You know, like these things we invest in, in themselves are not bad things. But invest your life, your energies into the coming kingdom. A kingdom is coming that will not end. All these things, they're going to be crushed. But God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, will endure forever. Invest in this. Peter asked a question. He says, seeing that all these things, he's talking about the world, it's going to be dissolved. He asked the question then, what manner of life ought we to live? And knowing the Lord's coming back, ask the question, what kind of life? Should we live seeing the Lord is coming back to judge and to make an account? I want to say, too, don't be discouraged. You look around, and it seems at times like the world is just unraveling. Things that 20 years ago we would have thought unthinkable, and yet it's the reality we live with. But, you know, don't be discouraged. God has a vision and a plan from Eden to the new Jerusalem. And he's going to see that accomplished. And as we read the prophets, and they describe God's blessing on the earth, we haven't seen this yet, which means it's going to happen. God is going to pour out his blessing on this earth. And we can be a part of that kingdom. So don't be discouraged. Take heart. God has a plan. And he's going, he is going to see it through. And finally, I want to say, be faithful to the end. Now, like I said, sometimes sorting out prophecy, it can be kind of like a jigsaw puzzle. And if I put things in the wrong place, or if my outline isn't just so, I'm open to the idea. Maybe I missed some things. But the Lord tells us, be faithful to the end. So at the very end of the book, Revelation 22, verse 12, he says this, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me, my reward, to repay each one for what he has done. I am Alpha and Omega, first and last, beginning and end. Be faithful. When the Lord comes in his kingdom, 
will be rewarded for the good we have done. There'll be loss, certainly for our shortcomings. And if you find this thought frightening, and you wonder, how can I avoid the coming judgment? Well, it's simple. You just align yourself with the king and say, King, Lord, Jesus, I know that you conquered because you shed your blood, you conquered death. You can put your trust, your faith in him. You can own him as Lord, as Savior, and you can be a part of his kingdom. So I'm just going to pray. We're going to sing some songs together. And I just pray this year, 2023, who'd have thought? That we would have eyes and hearts that would look forward to God's kingdom in this world. And that would just govern the, govern the way we live our lives as a church, individually, as families. Even so, come Lord Jesus. So Lord, we're just thankful. At times we see the world appears to be falling apart. And yet we know that you will judge the nations. You have a good plan for how the earth ought to be, how you intended it. Just pray you give us hearts that have a desire to be faithful unto the end. And we just long, Lord, for that day when we see your blessing in this world. And so we just thank you that you indeed conquered the world, Lord. Uh, You conquered death and sin. And someday we will see you reign in righteousness. And so we thank you for that. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.